Hey, um, I've been praying for you all week, for today, and uh, I've been, I, honestly, I've just been really praying that what I've got to share would be a real blessing to you today, all right, to everyone. And I think, uh, I'm really confident it will be. I, I personally, uh, just from what I know about what's happening in the church at the moment, I just think this is a really appropriate thing to be preaching on at this point in time. You can be the judge of that yourselves, as, obviously, as you hear it. But I think it's really appropriate. And at the end, uh, I thought of this morning, I just thought, yeah, I think we actually need to give people an opportunity. And this will all make sense once you hear everything I've got to share. But I thought we need to give people an opportunity uh, for someone to pray for them if uh, this is uh, something that they've got on their heart. So just uh, put a little bookmark in the back of your head. And uh, if uh, you need someone to pray for you at the end, we would uh, love to do so. Uh, today is the big kickoff of us starting to work through Hebrews, and I'm really pumped about it. It's, uh, it's a book that I uh, love. I absolutely love it. Every time I read it, I love it, and I've been reading it about once every two days for the last little while. Uh, in the last week, I spent a couple of days where I just hauled through the whole thing in one go, and it's, it's a sensational book, and probably a book that's not preached on very often. I think it does get preached on, but not that often, and there's some sweet stuff in it. So uh, I'm just going to pray again for you. Because I really do want God to bless you today. All right? And the way God blesses is not always the way that we expect him to. But the truth is, uh, you're here today because he wanted you to be here today. All right? Acts 17 is really clear about the fact that God allots the places where people live and where they move. All right? So uh, just take it on, on board right now that you're here and that God wants to say something to you. All right? Because he's a speaking God and he speaks all the time. He wants you to hear things. So I'm just going to pray that you hear them, because it would be a shame to waste an hour, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? We could be doing something better with our time, but if God speaks, there's nothing better we could be doing with our time, is there? So let me pray. Jesus, I uh, ask you to speak today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to uh, move in our hearts today and change us today, encourage us today, and bless us today. We desperately need you. We think that we need food when we're hungry, but uh, the whole time in uh, the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness, you said you were teaching them that they don't actually live by food, they live by your words. So that's actually what we need today. We need you to speak to us and to do something in us, and that will be our food today. It might mean that we don't need lunch in a physical way. It might mean that you make us so full and so satisfied by just hearing you having you speak to us so we don't need anything else. And I pray, Lord, today that I'd disappear and that you'd be prominent and uh, we'd just all hear from you, that I'd hear from you too and that I'd be, um, have a soft heart also to hear what you want to say to me. Amen. I give up. I'm running up the white flag. I tap out. I quit. There's no point in going on. I've had enough. I surrender. I give in. It's too hard. I can't do this anymore. It's boring. It's not worth it. Why bother? I'm too soft. You win. I tried and it didn't work. I just won't say anything anymore. Prayer doesn't work. Why won't this suffering stop? I just don't feel anything anymore. I couldn't be bothered. It doesn't matter that much. It hurts too much. I'm too tired. I'm frustrated. It won't work. It's not worth it. I'm depressed. No one likes me. My husband won't change. 
I've tried long enough with my kids. God's not coming through. My prayers bounce off the ceiling. God doesn't like me. He's not answering my prayer. I don't feel him anymore. He never speaks to me. I just can't do it anymore. Following Jesus just isn't worth it. We live in a world full of quitters, a world full of people that give up. And what they say is they say, if it gets hard, just give up. Don't keep going. If it gets hard, it mustn't be God's will. If it costs you something, then giving up's acceptable. People give up on God, people give up on their marriages, people give up on their children. People constantly look for the path of least resistance. It's hard, I need to find another way, they say. But you know the truth is that everything that matters is hard. Everything. Everything that matters is costly. And here's the truth, everything that matters is going to hurt. And you know what the writer of Hebrews would say to us today? He'd say, don't quit. Don't give up. That's what the whole of Hebrews is about. Don't quit. Don't give up. And what he's going to do is he's going to unfold a whole bunch of reasons why you shouldn't quit, why you shouldn't give up. You see, one of the things that struck me, and I think this is going to be the overarching theme to the whole Hebrews sermon series, however long that goes, and if you ask me how long will it go, I'll say how long is a piece of string because we don't know yet, but the writer of of Hebrews intends for us to be more than just survivors. You see, does God actually want you to give up following him? Does he? No, he doesn't. Do you think God actually wants you to barely make it just by the skin of your teeth? No, he doesn't. And see, the writer of Hebrews knows this. He doesn't want you just to barely make it, just scrape in. He doesn't want you to just be a survivor. See, one of the things that uh, gets talked about with regard to people who have been through sexual assault is the whole notion that I'm a survivor, I made it through sexual assault. But you know, the problem with that is the person still being identified by the struggles that they went through, even if they have survived. And God doesn't want people to be identified by the hard things in their lives or compromised and limited to a massive extent so that they only just barely make it. He wants you to be identified, and this is the writer of Hebrews, he wants you, and he knows that you should be identified by your hope. That's what you should be identified by. And don't hear wish, because we use the word hope in wish, in the sense of wish, but the writer of Hebrews, when he uses the word hope, he's not saying wish, he's saying certainty. It just hasn't happened yet. So be identified by the certainty of what's actually coming. Here would it go, like imagine... Everyone who's married can go back and those who aren't. Imagine you, you're doing pre-marriage counselling and you're working through your wedding vows, right? And your husband says to you, or your wife says to you this, seriously, my plan for this marriage is just to survive it. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? You're just going to be going, well, you may not survive this day, all right? It's going to be on in a minute. It's just rude, all right? And this is one of the things uh, I've been thinking about and Angie and I have been talking about. We've been married for 11 years. Marriage is not something that you just survive. It's not like I got to the end and I was faithful to you and I'm just going to fall over the line. Marriage is something that you're meant to prosper in and do well in. And it takes work and it's hard and it hurts. All right? And people who are married here know it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts sometimes and it's painful and sometimes it's just a hard slog. 
But I don't think God would have you just survive your marriages. In the same way, he doesn't want you just to survive being a Christian. I ground it out. I'm lying on my hospital bed. I'm, I'm just I'm minutes away from dying and I've ground it out and I've just gone, oh, I've just fallen over the finish line. I mean, if I was to get really brutal about it, you know what I'd say? I'd say that that doesn't bring any glory to God because his promises and what he's set up for us is far grander than you just over the finish line. Yeah? Anyway, a bit of a tip for those who aren't married. Don't say that to your fiancé, all right? I was thinking the only person who would say, I hope to survive this marriage is somebody who marries an axe murderer. That was one of my thoughts. <laughs> you see, you can go to Hebrews 11. Listen to this. I'll read you a couple of verses out of Hebrews 11. You tell me whether these guys sound like survivors or not. That's going to be obvious they're not, but I'll just read it. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They're choosing that. You know, technically they didn't survive, right? It's, unless you're a magician or something where you can split someone in half and trick everyone. Like literally, if, if we cut you in half today, you're probably not going to make it. Okay, just letting you know. But you know what? It, it's got that sound about it if you've read Hebrews 11 where you're just kind of going, these guys just aren't, they're not just <sighs> over the finish line. They, they finished strong, didn't they? They finished strong. And, and you get the sense, well, they're not just saying they've just made it. They're actually finishing really well and they're more than survivors. See, when it comes to Hebrews, we actually, let me tell you a few things we don't know. The first thing we don't know is uh, we're not sure exactly when it was written. All right? But it was written sometime in the early church there. I think somewhere I read it was around about 70 AD, I think 60 to 70 AD. Let me tell you something else we don't know. We actually don't even know who wrote it, all right? Probably the best guess uh, of uh, theologians and commentators might be Apollos. Some people think Paul, all right? We're not even really sure who it's written to, okay? But some people like Timothy show up in it in the, uh, in the conclusion of the letter. But you know what we do know about Hebrews? is it's actually written to people who have given up. It's written to people who are thinking about giving up and it's written to people who aren't giving up. That's what we know. And that's what we want to look at today. I think Hebrews 6 gives us a really clear reason why Hebrews is written. Check this out. So that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This is what God in Hebrews wants to say to you today. Be encouraged. Don't just be encouraged. This is not a trite little, I thought of a nice woman fuzzy to tell you. This is strong encouragement. All right? Strong encouragement to what? To not give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on things. Don't give up. And the writer of Hebrews wants to say to you, don't give up. You getting this? Just don't do it. And he's going to provide over the 13 chapters of Hebrews a ton of really, really, really good reasons why you should never give up. Never give up. And the truth is that it's possible that there's a, a significant percentage of us sitting in the room here who are just kind of going, I feel like giving up. Maybe you gave up a while ago. Maybe there's a whole section of your life that just got really hard and it's, you're like a, a bank that has just decided I'm not getting that money back so it's just a bad debt and I'm just going to write it off. And God would say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. 
And the writer of Hebrews would say, don't give up. Don't give up. You see, at the end of the day, I'll tell you a couple of... I'll tell you a story about my first car in a minute, all right? But, you know, Hebrews is not the vitamin section at the chemist, all right? It's not. It's not like, I'll just go to Hebrews and maybe I'll grab a cup of vitamin C, maybe a bit of zinc, and I'm going to be sweet. It's not the vitamin section. Hebrews is the prescription section, right? It's the antibiotics, it's the medicine. We're all in a bad way and we need something seriously good to happen to us to actually counter the stuff that's going on and that's the kind of thing that Hebrews is. I, uh, I used to own a car exactly like that, except it was white, so it's not exactly the same, I guess. But anyway, in, I'm driving home to Sydney, right? And the Sydney to Newcastle freeway, it's just got this incredibly long stretch downhill run. Uh, it, it probably goes for a K or a K and a half. And being, Sondergeld, being a Sondergeld and Sondergeld meeting without money, I'm at the top and I'm going, this is cool. I'm in an auto car, I'll just tap it into neutral and I'm just going to cruise down, all right? And there's no dramas with cruising down at 110 k's an hour. And he's got a hand up going, oh, I know where this is going and it's not good. All right? And, of course, I got to the bottom and you're just going, that's okay, Dink, just tick it back into drive, right? And it had the hugest shudder and jolt when I ticked it back into drive, right? And I found out after that, guess which gear in the auto it goes back to when you click it back into drive? First, so I'm doing 110 k's an hour <laughs> and my magnet's gone into first, all right? And I'm telling you, for the rest of, uh, well, un until I got it fixed, my auto had a serious clunk in it, all right? Excuse me, and I ended up getting it fixed at Gilroy's Automatics in town here. But me and it cost, I think, seven or 800 bucks quite a few years ago, so it was pretty expensive. But if you had a clunk in your transmission and you take it to the local... Um, quick lube or whatever it is and you just say can you just please just give me an oil change and an oil filter change I've got a clunk in my transmission just be going you're an idiot alright <laughs> you need an overhaul man you need to get someone to pull that thing down and pull it apart and fix it and this is a little bit the vibe of Hebrews Hebrews is not we're not coming in for a little grease and oil change alright Hebrews is overhaul let's get the overhaul happening so we're just going to go through a few scriptures here and uh, have a look, just a little bit of a survey across Hebrews. Check this verse out. This is Hebrews 12, verse 12 to 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm at home and my son comes in from the backyard and he says, Dad, the lemon tree is drooping, right? And, like, does it make sense for me to go, Oh, sweet, it's really healthy then. It's going to be Okay. What do you do now? You just go, I paid 15 bucks for that thing. I'm going to go get the watering can and I'm going to... You know, being a Sonder girl, it's all about the money. No, it's not, I'm kidding, all right? <laughs> you get the watering can out. Like, when something's drooping, you're just going, man, that thing's got issues. That may not make it, all right? And Hebrews are saying that there's some people who actually get drooping hands. They get tired. They get discouraged. And then if we go on, he actually says... Um, after that, he says, and strengthen your weak knees... And make straight paths for your feet. You know this, uh, the Greek word, I, I don't really like to do this too much, but the Greek word for weak knees here is actually the same Greek word that's used for the paralyzed guy that gets lowered down to Jesus through the roof. Isn't that interesting? You see, it's not just, I've got dodgy knees, it's like they're paralyzed, they just don't work. 
They're stiff, maybe. They just, you can't get them to work. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, some, people, some of you got droop hands, drooping hands. Some of you have got weak knees, you've got paralysed knees. Some of you have feet that don't go straight because why do you need to have straight paths? Because your feet aren't going straight. This is a uh, photo out of uh, one of the amphibian vehicles at Normandy. You see, the truth is, uh, sometimes I think maybe uh, churches and preachers, maybe I've done it in the past, over-dramatise things. But it may well be that when we actually see things in the spiritual, it actually may well be that the spiritual world is far more brutal than a war scene. I think that's probably the case. I think uh, probably the physical side of things is just a bit of a precursor or, a, or a, a bit of a metaphor of what's actually happening in the spiritual. You see, you need to make straight paths only when people's feet are not going straight. You imagine, if, uh, imagine being a soldier on the Normandy's uh, beach invasion. There's men beside you being vaporised. And their feet stop going straight. Your feet stop going straight. They stop going toward the enemy lines. I heard a preacher talk about on Normandy, there were some uh, soldiers who were so disoriented by the battle that was going on, they sat down and started playing in the sand. They were wandering around on the beach. They lost their minds. No longer was the battle a reality for these guys. Their feet weren't going straight anymore. They weren't going straight. They weren't being strategic. They weren't thinking about the battle. They weren't thinking about how to take out the enemy. They weren't thinking about the objective and the goal anymore. And life actually has a way of grinding us down sometimes, doesn't it? It grinds you down. And a term that's used, and Nick will probably be able to correct me on this later, but uh, the term that's used often in war is, is the fog of war. And it's, it's really, from what I can gather, the fog of war is just all, basically all the things that both opponents don't know about what's happening. And it's just the kind of the confusion that's going on. I'm going to show you a, um, a clip, all right, and just a little bit of a warning of some dudes that get torched by a flamethrower in this, but this is a clip out of Saving Private Ryan, which is the assault uh, on the beach at Normandy. And just, just notice what actually happens. Tom, Tom Hanks obviously is the lead, the lead role here, and just it's, it's a good opportunity for you to get a picture of what it's like sometimes and how you can get disoriented. with something that's happened to you you know that it's almost like the sound goes down to half and you're in some some kind of glass shell somewhere and you're just in a daze and and life is just grinding you down and you've seen people get taken out around you 
And it just gets to you and it gets on top of you. And honestly, I left that question in at the end because I think that's what we ask ourselves sometimes, don't we? You go, what the hell do I do now, God? Have you ever asked yourself that? And he's the guy in charge of his platoon or whatever it is. And you know what the answer is? We need to get up the beach. That's what we need to do. And you know that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying to you. When you're in those moments, you're going, what the hell do I do now? The writer of Hebrews is saying, get up. Get up and keep going. And don't give up. Don't give up. You see, if you had an amphibious vehicle came up to the, uh, came up to the shoreline, this is really what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that this is what it looks like sometimes. The amphibious vehicle has come up to the shoreline and the troops are coming out, they're breaking through, but the soldiers' hands are drooping down and their knees are paralysed. You see, these are the people that the gates of hell will not prevail against and their hands are drooping and their knees are paralysed. They don't need vitamins, they need medication. There's a hail of gunfire and all hell is broken out. Some people are getting shell-shocked, some people have fallen down, they're gone. You're looking at the guys and there's guys whose knees are paralysed. They can't move, they're weak and feeble and they can't do anything. And the writer of the Hebrews says to the person who's saying, what the hell do we do now, sir? He says, stand up, take the promises on board, take the hope that's set before you and get going. He goes on to say, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You've seen probably on TV the marathons. Someone gets halfway through a marathon and they're losing it. They're done. Their legs are done. And they start getting all floppy. And they, you look at them and you just go, man, I, man, they, they need to see a doctor, right? But they don't need to see a doctor. They're just tired. The legs just don't work anymore. And you know, that you see them and they start to lose balance. They hit zero. And their feet stop going straight. They start going all over the place. And you know what? They're falling, but you know what? If, if they don't get a second wind, it's over for them. The race is over. They fall and that's it. And you know, the ones that fall, they rarely ever come back. And the writer of Hebrews would say to all of us today, don't fall. Don't fall. Keep it in joint. Don't let it get put out of joint. Don't fall. Here's another image for you. This is a, uh, a clip of a, a marathon right at the end. Man, it's full on. Yeah. 
what it is. I mean, those girls didn't, did they? You know, and in, in one sense, it's probably a little part of you when I was watching it. I thought, it kind of looks a bit funny, in a sense. And that's what people were saying on the, got it off YouTube, and that's what they were saying on YouTube. They said, doesn't this look funny? And I'm just going, well, man, it looks gutsy to me. If I can't walk, I'm going to crawl. And it might mean I lose all the skin off my knees, but I'm just going to keep going. Isn't that it? Those girls, what, what the hell do we do now, sir? Well, we just keep going. That's what we do. A few more scriptures from uh, Hebrews. Hebrews 2 verse 1. Therefore, you need to pay closer attention to what you've heard, lest you drift away from it. How do you drift? Well, drifting's pretty simple in the surf, isn't it? How do you get stuck in a rip? You get stuck in a rip when you stop fighting. You get stuck in a rip when you lift your feet off the sand at the bottom and you stop actually fighting against the current that's going on. That's how you drift. And the writer of Hebrews would say to you, don't drift. Don't drift. Pay closer attention. You need to see it more clearly. The only reason someone drifts is because they don't see it clearly. So pay attention. Pay attention. Hebrews 11, 15 to 16, if they'd been thinking of that land, these are people who sacrificed massive things for God. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to, to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. I don't know about you, but have you ever had one of those moments where you just think, I could just go back to how I was. It looks better right now. It looks easier. That's what these guys are doing. Things got hard and the cost got intense. And they started thinking, well, maybe I could go back. But what was their answer? They're going, no way. We're not going back. This is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. Don't even think about going back. Honestly, it's dodgy. It's really, really bad. So don't think about going back. Put it out of your head. And he's saying, in Hebrews 11, he's going, look at all these people that said, we could have gone back, but we didn't even think about it because we're going forward because it's way better. Don't even think about going back. Don't even think about giving in. Hebrews 10, 32 to 36. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Do you hear that? You just hear grind in that. They're going to grind you down. It's like a huge big pestle and mortar and you've just been thrown in the bottom of it and you're just getting ground down by hard things and sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. It's interesting, isn't it? Like often, when you make your decision to follow Christ, those who have made one, you don't actually consider, you think you've considered all the costs, but most of the time the cost gets way more intense than anything you'd considered, doesn't it? And all of a sudden God brings something your way and you're just kind of going, well, I knew it was going to cost me my life, but I didn't think it was going to hurt that much. I didn't think it was going to be that painful. I didn't know someone was going to take my house. Even if I'd have known someone was going to take my house, I would have thought about it maybe a little bit more. And it's not that these people would have turned back, but it's almost, there's almost a sense here that these people, the cost has gone way beyond what they expected. See, look at them. They're, they're actually being publicly exposed and embarrassed. And they're losing property. It's not in this scripture, but I think it's in the previous scripture there, the previous verse. Here's another one. Hebrews 5, 11 to 12. 
About this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You see, when hard things happen and when suffering happens, it's not just about what happens to you, it's also about what happens in you. The truth is that sufferers are sinners. And what's happened here is these people probably have gone through some really hard stuff and they haven't dealt with it well and they've made themselves deaf by the way that they've handled the hardship that they've gone through. They've sinned. Maybe they've gone for a functional saviour, something to save them that's not Christ. See, one of the critical things when you go through hardship and suffering, and you see this in David in the Psalms, is uh, David pretty much, almost all of the time, is able to maintain a first-person conversation with God. He never becomes God's judge when things get hard in his life. He never does. He never says you are a bad person or you should not do that. I think that's a bad thing to do. He keeps talking and he keeps having a conversation and relating to God. And that's one of the things that I've been encouraging people around the school that I've spoken to is when you get in something hard, don't stop talking to God, all right? You can be frustrated, you can be annoyed, you can be maybe angered by what he's doing, but don't become his judge. Keep talking to him and work it through with him and keep it in the first person. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, these people are being tempted from everywhere. They're under pressure. They're under pressure from within, their own temptations on the inside, and they're under pressure from without. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't give up. Don't give up. In the temptation that's coming your way, the internal temptation and the external pressures, don't give up. Jesus went through all of it. And I'll put this marker in the sand now. Jesus went through stronger temptation than anyone on the face of the planet because he was the only one who lasted and didn't give in to it. All right? By definition, no one has ever felt the strength of temptation and the concentration of temptation as strongly as Jesus. Do you see that? That's really important because we kind of think, oh, but he was half man, half God. All right? Because that's kind of what we think on the inside. Rather than thinking he's fully man, fully God, we think he's half man, half God, and he gets some kind of divine leg up somewhere in there. All right? No, he didn't. All right? There's no divine leg up. He took the temptation to its highest concentration and withstood it. And what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He can sympathise with you. He can help you. He knows, as, he knows how strong it gets at its strongest point and he wants to help you. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's another good reason, don't give up when you're in temptation and when bad things are happening and, and when you're just kind of going, oh, I read this article and I reckon this is true. I don't know whether this resonates with you or not. I read this article this week. The guy said, sometimes resisting sin physically hurts. And I thought, It's true. Not all the time, but there are some really strong, especially the, the really strong desires in a physical way. Literally, it can actually hurt to resist it. And the writer of Hebrews knows Jesus went through all of that and he can help you with that. So don't give up. Then you get to Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, don't give up. And you struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Look at what these people have got. Somehow they've got themselves in a situation where they've got sin and they've got a weight on them. All right? They're like someone trying to do a 100-meter sprint in combat boots. All right? That's what they're doing. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, get your combat boots off. You'll go way better. All right? I'd love this analogy. I heard a preacher say, it's like these people are, are, are trying to run through molasses. That's what he's saying. Get it off. Get it off. It's slowing you down. It's, it's hurting you. It's hindering you. Get it off. Get your sin off. Get the stuff. Because sometimes there are things that hang around us and they're just a weight on us. And if you said, someone said to you, is that a sin? You'd kind of go, oh, I don't know whether it is, but it's a weight. And just get it off. Get the weight off. Run well. You see, when we struggle against sin, it gets hard. The enemy comes in. The devil comes in. Our knees start to weaken. Our hearing starts to get dull. If something doesn't happen soon, we're going we're to fall and we're not going to get up. But the rod of Hebrews is going, not you. Not you. Not if you understand what I'm telling you. You're not going to fall and stay down. You'll get up. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Check this out. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. This is a problem, isn't it? In the church then, what's happening? People, by apathy, just getting done over by the devil. That's what's happening. They're slipping away. They're not coming to church anymore. They're not part of biblical community. And the writer of Hebrews is going, don't do it. Stay in the flow. Stay in the biblical community. Stay in a place. Because I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, just in closing. But isn't it true that sometimes our view of reality is not actually the true view of reality? It's just not. And you need to be. This is why we keep saying, be in our community groups. Anyone can come. You don't need an invitation from anyone. Just say, we're going to be part of it. Because you actually need people who are looking from outside your fog of war to say, this is not exactly how it is. You're not seeing things properly. This is what should be happening in community group. We had the 30 on Friday night, and it happened at the 30, all right? Our men's ministry thing, dudes are throwing things out, and other dudes are going, man, I don't think you're really seeing it that, that right. It is the way I think it is, all right? And the cool thing is, it's not said in an arrogant way. It's just like, here's my view of what's going on with your situation. And sometimes you just go, oh, okay. No, well, your sound's more true than mine, all right? You're... You're looking from outside the bubble and you can see something there. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, some people have given up. They've succumbed to the view of reality that they've got either through the deceitfulness of their sin, as he says in chapter 3, or through struggles. All the stuff that we've followed, that we've gone through, uh, through temptations, they've given up. They've got no one outside their fog of war that's speaking to them about reality and what it is. I love Hebrews because it's a really nice mix of God's sovereignty and our choices as people. The writer of the Hebrews says, you know what, in chapter 1 he says, you've got a better prophet than all the others. Jesus is a better prophet than all the other prophets that have come through, so don't give up. In chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says, he's better than the angels. 
I mean, some of us have probably prayed that an angel would pop up and reveal themselves to us and we'd be sweet. The writer of Hebrews says, yeah, that would be nice because it says at the end of chapter 1, it says that God sends angels to minister to people who are going to inherit salvation. That's sweet, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't get sidetracked by angels because Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses in chapter 3. I mean, you can imagine the Jews are going, Moses is the top of the pile and, and the writer of the Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than Moses. So don't put your hope in Moses. You've got a good reason to, to hold firm. And then in chapter 4 of Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says, he's better than Joshua. Joshua was the guy that took everyone into Canaan, into the promised land. That was where rest was meant to happen. And the writer of the Hebrews says, he's better than Joshua. He's going to bring a rest that's better than the rest that Joshua brought. Chapter 5, it says, uh, the writer of, the, of, of Hebrews says, he's a better high priest. You need a good mediator. And we're not even going to get into it today, but all of us, when we don't go to Jesus to be our mediator, to, br to bring peace between us and God, we find something else. Maybe it's ritual, maybe it's religion, maybe it's doing my quiet time in the morning. We find a false mediator that we think actually brings peace between God and us. But it doesn't work. And the writer, writer of Hebrews is saying, he is a good high priest. He's better. He's the best mediator of any. Isn't this good? And is anyone like, amen, this is, man, we should be excited about this. Chapter 6 and 8, the writer of Hebrews says, man, he's got better promises. So don't give up. The promises are better. It doesn't matter what other promise you've got. And this is a thing about temptation, isn't it? Is it promises something? It promises something. And uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, better promises, folks. Don't give in. Don't believe the deceitfulness of sin and disobedience and the temptation that comes because the promises of God are better. Then you get into chapter 7 and you end up with this guy, for those who read Hebrews during the week, uh, you've got this guy called Melchizedek. All right? So it's almost like Melchizedek is this guy that sits pretty high on the totem pole and the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is better than the guy who's the highest on the totem pole. Chapter 8, it actually says it's a better covenant. God's made a better deal with you. A better deal. He's made a better deal with us, so don't give up. Chapter 9, it says that the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is a better sacrifice. Like, you don't give up. He's a better sacrifice. You don't have to cut the head off a goat anymore. All right? And then just have to wash your clothes because you've got blood all over you. All right? It's a better sacrifice. Chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews says, it's, it's better blood. The blood that's been shed is better blood. Chapter 10, he says, uh, you've got more confidence. You've got better confidence to come to God. You don't have to wait once a year for one guy in the whole nation, the high priest, to go into the Holy of Holies to meet with God. You've got confidence to go direct to him now. So don't give up. Chapter 11, it says that we've got a better hope. It says in chapter 11 too that we've got a better reward. Everything you have in Christ is better. It's better. Not just to cling on to, but to hold fast. Like chapter 6 says, don't turn back. Everything is superior, superior, superior in Christ. Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Put Christ before your eyes as superior to everything and you won't give up. You see, 17 times through the, the book of Hebrews it says Christ is superior. He's better. It doesn't matter. Whatever problem you've got, whatever sickness... Jesus is better. Don't drift.
the really sad thing for me as a preacher, the really frustrating thing for me as a preacher is this. There are some marvellous, marvellous truths and words in the book of Hebrews. And there's no way that I'm ever going to preach it well enough. And there's no way anyone else is ever going to preach it well enough. The way that you need to be helped is so intense that I'm actually not going to be able to preach it well enough. And I'm just throwing this out for you. You know, you know what it's going to take? It's probably going to take you sitting down and meditating. Not in a yoga way where you empty your head out, but in a biblical way where you sit down and you're like a cow chewing on its cud. All right? And you sit there and you take a truth about God and you just chew it over and you chew it over. We have such a fast-paced, alt-tab world. You know what I'm talking about. We're just going to switch from one window to the next and we'll switch to the next window of the, the, uh, the mobile phone and then we're going to switch to this and that and people inter- interrupt us. You're just going to have to take some time out. If you're going to get the riches of God out of Hebrews, you're going to take some time. You're going to need to take some time out yourself just to sit down and meditate on God and meditate on truth. And not sit there and think, okay, here's my deal. I've got to read 35 chapters in the next 25 minutes. All right? That's not meditating. All right? That might be what you want to do in your quiet time, but you're going to have to just find some time, maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. And you're just going to have to sit down. You're going to have nothing distracting you. You're going to make sure that no one can interrupt you. And you're going to take some truth about God and you're just going to think about it. You're going to chew it over and chew it over and chew it over. I mean, you could go probably meditating on the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Man, you could meditate on that for the next 18 months. 25 minutes a day, just sitting down, just thinking about it. Long ago, at many times and in various ways, God spoke. Well, what about that one? I mean, that's what I'm going to be talking about next week at the combined thing. Even, that is amazing that God even talks. I mean, when someone does something we get irritated with, what do we do? We shut up, I'm not going to talk to you. Man, have we irritated God? Imagine if he just decided, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And you know, there are times through the Bible where God says, I'm not going to talk anymore. The minor prophets, he said, that's it. You guys are going to search for the word of God and you're not going to find it because it's not there. I'm going to stop talking. But you know, it's an amazing thing. He just keeps talking. So you could sit and you could meditate for 15 minutes on how God talks. You could think, man, when you talk, things happen. You could go back to Genesis 1 and just meditate through Genesis 1 and 2 and just go, well, you can just say something and all this intricate world just happens. That's pretty impressive. You can meditate on that. So what I thought I'd do is I'd show you a couple of quotes for some guys uh, who did some good meditation. And one of them looks like, the second quote is a guy that looks like he's meditating on some stuff out of Hebrews. This is Charles Simeon. He was an English evangelical clergyman. Here's what he said. Sorry, this is a biographer. Simeon's missionary friend Thomason writes about a time in 1794 when a friend of Simeon's named Marsden entered his room and found Simeon so absorbed in the contemplation of the Son of God and so overpowered with the display of his mercy to his soul that he was incapable of pronouncing a single word till at length he exclaimed glory, glory maybe, I I don't know maybe meditation gets you there have you had one of those moments where you just go there's nothing I can say 
this is just so good. And then when he starts saying something, he's got one word and that's all he says. Just glory, glory. Man, there is some sweet stuff in Hebrews. I mean, that's more than a survivor, isn't it? That's more than a survivor. What about this one? This is uh, Thomas Charles. He was a Welsh nonconformist clergyman. I reckon we could have like 500 of those from this school over the last four or five years. Isn't that the teenage thing? Like I'm a nonconformist and we all wear the same clothes? Anyway, just kidding. You know, if, if you started out, if we, we said this is a nonconformist church, wouldn't that be interesting, the people that had come to it? All the rebels. But then we'd ask them to conform here and they'd leave us, so that'd be weird. Here's what Thomas Charles said. He's from Wales. I had such a view of Christ as our high priest, as, as our mediator, of his love, compassion, power and all sufficiency as filled my soul with astonishment, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. My mind was overwhelmed and overpowered with amazement. The truths exhibited to my view appeared too wonderfully gracious to be believed. I could not believe for very joy. The glorious scenes then opened to my eyes will abundantly satisfy my soul for what? Millions of years. Hence, in the contemplation of it. He's just going, I could sit and think about this stuff for millions of years. And the weird thing is, don't we just often just pick up our Bible and we go, okay, we just start at one and finish at four of Hebrews 1 and we're going to be sweet. This is a guy going, no, no, you need to pull up, you need to pull up, you need to chew over and then chew over. And once you've chewed it over, you chew it again and you meditate on it and you pray and you talk to God and you ask God to help you to understand the depth of it. Thomas Charles was more than a survivor. Especially if you're going through a really hard time right now, you're probably going to need to put some time aside to meditate. If you've, honestly, if some of you just going, yeah, I know, I know that I've given up. I know that I've given up on stuff and I've sealed it off. I'm going to put it in a vac lock kind of bag thing and I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to put that in the bottom of the drawer of the fridge and we're not going to see that for the next 15 years. And it just gets festy and dodgy. You know what I'm talking about? Just go, I've given up on that one. I tried long enough. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Get it out. Cut it open and don't give up. Get it done. Right at the end of Hebrews in verse 22, he writes this. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. You know what exhortation means? It means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. This is not a word of rebuke in Hebrews. This is a word of exhortation. Don't give up. It's a strong encouragement to stand firm. Got an email from uh, Focus on the Family back on the 21st of February. It was about a, uh, a pastor and his name was uh, Pastor Nadak Hani in Iran. He's an Iranian Christian pastor. He was arrested back in 2009 for protesting compulsory Islamic religious instruction in the public school system. Although initially charged with protesting an illegal act, the charges were amended to apostasy and evangelising Muslims. When asked by a judge to repent of his behaviour, so this guy is currently in jail in Iran. The 
pastor's response was blunt. Repent means to return. What should I return to, he asked. To the blasphemy that I had before my faith in Christ? He's more than a survivor, isn't he? He's not looking for a weasel way out. He's sounding like, honestly, I think he's sounding like Hebrews 11. The guys you see in Hebrews 11. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm not looking for a, you know, some kind of scale down in the punishment for my crimes. I'm just laying it out. I'm Jesus's. I'm following him. I've got a sure and steadfast hope. The judge replied to the religion of your ancestors, Islam, to which the imprisoned Christian replied, I cannot. If he does, he's out. If he doesn't, he stays and possibly gets executed. He's more than a survivor. Here's where I want to finish. Maybe uh, Nathan, the music team, just want to come up. A few years ago, probably uh, it might be four or five years ago, a, um, a student in the school here um, who I was working with um, didn't come to school one day. And uh, one of her friends came up to me and she said, uh, Mr. Sondergo, I'm really worried about my friend. And uh, this is my first real experience with it. And uh, I said, why are you worried about her? And uh, she said, well, because uh, my friend texted me and told me she'd taken 35 Panadol in the middle of the night because right, she didn't want to live anymore. She, she gave up. And I'm not down on her for that. I'm just saying she just gave up. And uh, so I, I asked the uh, office, I said, I was in the middle of a class, and I said, can you just please call this uh, girl's parents and just ask them if she's okay? And so the office, I didn't tell them anything, the office called, and they called back and they said, uh, yeah, she's having the day off because she's sick. And uh, so I knew straight away I had to get on the phone, so I, I rang and I told the mum uh, what had happened. And uh, she was sick and she had taken 35 Panadol, she had to go down to the hospital to get all of that sorted out, otherwise she was going to die a very slow and painful death, which is what happens when you do that. But you know, the really interesting thing I found is most of the time when she got to places like that, she didn't want me to stop her. She just didn't, all right? And she'd be upset with me, and she'd be upset with me passing things on to the, uh, to the principal and trying to work out a way to stop her from killing herself because that wasn't the first time um, that she'd had thoughts like that. It was the first time I knew of her actually big time attempting it, but it wasn't the first time she'd had thoughts like that. But you know what, two or three weeks later, she sent me an email and she thanked me for it. All right? And this is one of the things I say to kids who are, who are going, at the school here, who are going through times where they're just going, I just want to give up and I just don't want to live anymore. I say to them, you actually don't know what reality is at that point in time. That girl got stuck in the fog of war, didn't she? And she couldn't see out. She, she didn't know what was happening. She didn't know how to get out. She couldn't see out. She was in trouble. And what she needed at that point in time was someone who actually would come in and intersect her world and bring the truth about reality into her world. Does that make sense? That's what she needs. And, you know, this is really what the writer of Hebrews does. Is he says, you can get into a real mess with temptation, with suffering, struggles, you can get ground down by life. But he's saying you don't see reality properly. If you get dull hearing, 
and you become hard-hearted, you don't see it properly. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Is he's saying, I'm going to bring the truth to you and I'm going to intersect with you so that you see reality properly. Because if you saw it properly, you wouldn't give up. You wouldn't. You just wouldn't. And so today, I mean... We'll probably sing a song, I don't know what Nathan's going to do, but what we do want to do is we want to provide an opportunity for anyone here today for us to speak the truth to you about what reality is and for us to pray the truth into your situation. Because it's entirely possible there may not be any, but there may be a whole bunch of you who have just got some situations in your life and you don't see it properly. You You don't see it. And you need someone to stand like the writer of Hebrews does and say, that's not reality. What's making or causing you to give up or what you're responding to in a way that leads to you giving up, you're not seeing it properly. Come and see it properly. This is how it is and let me pray that you would see reality properly. I might just pray, maybe you'd like to stand with me. really cool thing today is uh, I've invited uh, Ted and Wynne Hitsky to join me in a moment because I understand some of you are kind of older than the oldest guy and you just might be thinking, what's this young buck got to give me anyway? All right? And the answer is probably not that much, okay, because you've lived a lot longer than me. But most of us who know Ted and Wynne here know that they've had to They've, had, they've got to walk out this hope thing right in the midst of it, all right? And to be honest, I'd be happy just to sit down and not say anything and not pray for anyone. I'd, I'd be happy just to... I'd, I feel really unworthy to do it. That's really what I'm saying, isn't it? So in a moment, they're going to come out and there'll be an option for you. If you're an older person, you just go, yeah, I've just got these real soft patches in my life where I know that I've given up and I've never really addressed it and I want to rewrite history. Rewrite the present, rewrite history. I'll pray for you, all right? Now, um, I'll pray for anyone who wants me to pray for him because I think Jesus can do some really sweet things and I think the Holy Spirit wants to correct a whole bunch of dodgy thoughts that we have. So we just invite you to, to come in. I'll, maybe Nathan will be able to pray for some people too. I'll pray for you now, hey? Let's pray. God, you're such an encourager. Man, you're just so good to us. We're just so drooping and limping. We've got weak knees. We've got feet that don't go straight. Oh, man, you could just get so frustrated, but you don't. You inspire a guy to write Hebrews to say, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today who's saying, what the hell do I do now, God? That you'd tell them today and you'd tell them through the writer of uh, Hebrews to just keep going. Just keep going. See reality clearer. Get a better picture of it. Don't give in. Don't give in. God, we just don't know where the, the back of the enemy gets broken. Where the back of our sufferings is broken. Where the back of our temptations is broken. God, help us to not give in. Please help us. Thanks for encouraging us. Thanks for Hebrews. God, I pray that you'd bless people today. That you'd encourage them today. You'd strengthen their resolve today. Amen.